Welcome to those of you here with us, as well as to our online family as well, joining us via uh, live stream. It's good to be back. If we haven't met yet, my name's Chris, uh, one of your pastors here at New Life. And if we haven't met, I'll be hanging out up here uh, at the front after the service. would love to just get a chance to introduce myself, get to know you uh, a little bit better. And uh, one, one thing I just kind of want to put on your radar for the next two weeks before we jump into uh, the sermon this morning is you may have noticed when you rolled in, we got the usual welcome tent on the front lawn, but we also have like a little blue tent that's not usually there. And so for this Sunday, next Sunday, that's going to be kind of our community group, small group hub. And so uh, if you want to know more about community groups, small group life, would encourage you swing by uh, on your way out to your car, just get some information about group life. Uh, if you are new to New Life, that is a, a drum beat that we continue to beat here because the reality is we believe that disciples uh, really aren't made in rows. Like, so Sunday morning's great, it's awesome, we need to come together, we need to worship, we need to hear the word. But the reality is disciples are really made in circles, right? And so some of you are already connected into our small group community, community group system here. Awesome, high five to you. Some of you guys haven't done that yet. Some of you were but aren't now because COVID and two years of like insanity. And so now would be a good time to kind of dip your toes back into uh, the waters of community life. So if you're not connected, just know this Sunday, next Sunday, that blue tent, uh, there'll be some community group leaders to, to answer your questions, give you some uh, info uh, out there. Now let's, uh, let's pause just for a moment and uh, let's pray. Let's, let's go to God and ask him to prepare our hearts to receive the word this morning. Father, we, we come to you and as Eden said uh, just a minute ago, uh, life is not always easy. Even for those of us who, who follow you, life can be hectic, life can be stressful, it can be confusing. We can turn on the news and just see sort of calamity after calamity, disaster after disaster, wars, shootings, racism, you name it. There are all kinds of troubling things going on in the world, God. And if you're not our anchor, it would be really easy for us to despair in life. And we're so grateful that you, you are our anchor, that you hold us steady in the storms of this life, Father. And so I pray as we open up your word that you would just speak to us in a powerful way. These people here online, they don't need to hear from me. They don't need to hear from a man. They need to hear from, from you. And so we pray by the power of your spirit that you would enliven these ancient words that were written some 2,600 years ago but can still speak to us like they were written yesterday. And so, God, we just confess we need a word from you. In this chaotic world that we live in, we need to hear from the God of this universe. And so we pray that you would speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, I heard a rumor that last week my dad uh, preached for me that he, he preached on the problem of evil on Mother's Day. Is that, is that true? Did he really? He didn't do that, did he? He did, he did do that. All right, well, so I just want to apologize. If last week was your first Sunday, you got PTSD from my dad's sermon, I have no control over what my, my father does. But we're going to be back in the book of Daniel uh, this morning. And so if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to go ahead, open it up, turn it on in your device, your app, go to Daniel chapter 2. That's in your um, Old Testament. And as you find your place there, I just want to ask you a question. I wonder how many of you, just by a show of hands, how many of you can remember at least one dream that you had over the past week? Just raise your hand if you can actually remember. Okay, that's surprising. Same, nine o'clock service, kind of same thing, about half 
the people remembered. Can you remember, raise your hand if you can remember a dream you had last night. All right, that's, so that's like, like a third of the folks in here. I, I rarely remember my dreams anymore. I don't know if that, I'm just getting old or, or my brain's dying. I'm not sure what's happening, but I, I hardly ever remember my dreams anymore. But I, I can remember two recurrent dreams that, that I've had through the course of my life. Especially as I was, a, as I was growing up, as kind of a kid, I, I remember having this dream probably once a week where I'd wake up and it felt like I was falling off of something. Y'all ever had that kind of dream? It just feels like you fell off a cliff and you get that, that, that sick feeling in your stomach, like you're falling and wake up and you're like gripping the bed. So I used, to, I used to have that dream all the time. When I got a little bit older in my 20s, the recurrent dream, and I still have this dream from time to time, is I, I, is I dream that I'm in college and I get to the end of a semester and I have forgotten to go to one of my classes all semester. And I'm just freaking out. I'm like, man, maybe I could slip in and the professor wouldn't notice that I hadn't been there the whole time. Maybe I could just pass the final and get like a C minus. My parents won't kill me. But I, I just remember having that dream all the time. So I've had a couple of dreams that just seem to kind of consistently be uh, reoccurring in, 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 my, in my nighttime sleep. And so I, that kind of led me on a journey this week to do a little bit of research on the most common uh, dreams, specifically the most common nightmares. So there was this guy that did some research, pulled a bunch of people, and gave like the top 25 uh, nightmares that, that people have. So see if you resonate with some of these. Uh, one of the top ones was the one I had as a kid. You wake up, you feel like you're falling off something. Um, so that's one. Another one, a common nightmare, is being being chased. <laughs> so you just feel like somebody's chasing you down an alley or something like that. I don't think I've ever had that one. Uh, another common nightmare is being late. So you show up to school late, you show up to a meeting late, everybody's looking at you like, what's this moron doing walking in 30 minutes late? So that's a common one. Uh, I found this one to be kind of funny. Uh, a common nightmare is people uh, having their teeth fall out, all right? So if you're from Alabama, that's not a nightmare, that's a reality, but it's a, um, relax, I'm from Alabama, I can make fun of my people. Um, how about this one, bugs crawling on you. Everybody, anybody ever had that nightmare? You wake up and there's like bugs all over the place. My kids used to have that. And my personal favorite, this made the top 20 or top 25, a very common nightmare is going bald, all right? Now for some of you, that dream became a reality. Congratulations on, on that, I think. Hey, I think I'm going there too. So, uh, the, the reality is, in the Western world, we we laugh at dreams, don't we? I mean, it, like it, it's kind of funny. We make fun of it. We don't really take it that seriously. But I can tell you, in other places in the world, even today, people put a lot of weight in their dreams. In fact, I'll tell you that right now in the Muslim world, there's this phenomena that we can't even explain, but there are many, many Muslims who are coming to faith in Jesus because he is appearing to them in dreams and visions. Again, missionary friends, this is, this is documented. It's happening not just once or twice, but thousands and thousands of times. Uh, in, in fact, I, I talked to a missionary one time, told me the story of a, uh, he was living in, in Asia, and uh, there was this Muslim man that lived in his village, and he kept having this, this same dream over and over again. And, and the dream was there was a man standing in white holding a book. And, and he knew that that book contained the truth. But every time he would try to get close to the book or read or peer over and see what was in the book, he would wake up. So he's frustrated because he kept having this dream over and over again. There's this guy in white. He's got a book. The book has a truth in it, but I can't find out what the book is. Finally, after a couple weeks of having the same dream over and over and over again, the guy in white gives him directions in his town. 
He's like, hey, listen, I want you to go uh, right down your street at the oak tree. I want you to go left. I want you to go to two miles, and by the river, I want you to take a right. The third house on the left is gonna have a blue door. I want you to knock on that blue door, and the man in that house with the blue door is gonna be able to tell you who I am and show you what's in the book. So the guy, this Muslim guy, wakes up, and he's like, what the heck? <laughs> you know, I got these directions in, in my dream. Maybe nothing, but I'm gonna do it. So he followed, it went down, took a left by the oak tree, took a right by the river, looked, and there, sure enough, there was a house, the third house had a blue door. So he goes and he, he knocks on the door, and lo and behold, the guy that opens it is an American missionary. And he says, hey, listen, this may be crazy, but I just had a dream, I've been having this dream, I can't get it out of my head, there's this guy in white, he's got a book, I know that the book contains a truth, and he told me in the dream that you could tell me what's in the book. And the guy was like, <laughs> yes, I can. Come on in. Let me tell you about Jesus, you know? And he led this Muslim man to faith in Jesus. He's now a follower of Jesus. Again, we can't explain that. We don't know why God is working through dreams and miracles like that in certain places in the world. But also, if you read the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament in the Bible, God oftentimes will use dreams to communicate or reveal himself to people. And that's exactly what we see happening in Daniel chapter two, our text this morning. Now, Jonathan did a great job, Pastor Jonathan, two weeks ago teaching through kind of the first half of that chapter. I'm gonna wrap up that chapter, uh, God willing, this morning. But let me just give you a quick refresher if, uh, if you weren't here two weeks ago. Nebuchadnezzar, like he's one of the, the central players in this whole storyline, in this narrative. He is the most powerful man on planet Earth, right? He is, he is the king of Babylon, so he invades Judah, the southern uh, kingdom of, Je uh, of Israel, and he takes a bunch of people captive and brings them back to Babylon. Among those POWs is a teenage boy named Daniel and three of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? So these guys, scholars believe, probably somewhere between 15 and 19 years old. Let's just split the difference. Let's say they're like 16. These guys are like 17 years old. They're very young. And so they're having to learn from a very early age how to live in a God-honoring way in a culture that is very far from God. This is a very similar situation that I think we're finding ourselves in in America today, right? We get so many lessons from this book written 2,600 years ago about how we as modern-day disciples of Jesus can live in a God-honoring way in a culture that is very far from God, especially in a place like Asheville. As Jonathan pointed out two weeks ago, Nebuchadnezzar starts having a series of dreams in Daniel chapter two that trouble him, right? And we're not told in the first half of the chapter what that dream is, but, but he's having a dream. Uh, the, the scripture says that his, his sleep escapes him, right? So he can't sleep. He's so troubled by this dream that he keeps having. And so what Nebuchadnezzar does is he calls all the wise men together in the Babylonian kingdom, right? So all his wise guys, all his magicians, all his fortune tellers, all the priests of his false gods, pagan gods in Babylon, brings them all together. And he says, hey, hey, look, boys, here's the deal. I'm having this dream. I can't sleep. I need you guys to tell me what my dream is, number one. And number two, I need you to give me the interpretation. Like, what does this mean? And, and if you can't give me both of those things, I'm gonna have you all executed. And so they all begin to, to kind of freak out. And they're like, King, look, man, if you give us a dream, we'll help you interpret it. But there's nobody on planet Earth that can give you both the dream and the interpretation. Like, how are we supposed to know what your dream was? And Nebuchadnezzar's like, well, that stinks to be you because you gotta tell me the dream and the interpretation. Otherwise, you're gonna be taking a dirt nap tomorrow afternoon, right? There's, there's no other way around it. Now, some scholars speculate that Nebuchadnezzar couldn't remember all of his dream. That's why he's demanding that they tell him what his dream was. 
We don't really know that from the text, but either way, you can imagine all these wise men, probably hundreds, perhaps thousands of them in the Babylonian kingdom, they're all losing their minds. They're like, this is insane. We're, we're gonna die because this crazy king wants us to tell him what his dream was. There's no way we can tell him what his dream is. So everybody's losing their mind. Everybody's freaking out except for one teenage boy named Daniel and his posse, right? His three friends, these four teenage boys who love God. And as we saw a couple weeks ago, what Daniel does, he doesn't freak out, he doesn't lose his mind. He pulls together his three friends and he says, boys, listen, we gotta pray. Like this is, this is serious, man. We're in a pinch, we could die tomorrow. We gotta pray, we gotta go to God, we're gonna beg for his mercy. And not only are we gonna beg for his mercy, we're gonna ask him to give us the king's dream and the interpretation. Now, that's a great lesson for us even there, isn't it, man, when the world is freaking out around us, when it seems like the situation is spinning out of control, we go to God. And here's why. This is the first truth. It'll be on the screens for you uh, this morning. Number one, God is the sovereign one. God is the sovereign one. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Right? Like, there's never been a time where you woke up and you did something really dumb in your life and God was like, oh! <gasps> Oh, dang, I, you totally blindsided me, Sam. Like, you totally blindsided me, Elizabeth. I cannot, I cannot believe you did, you just threw my whole plan for history off track. I'm gonna have to come up with plan B. That has never happened to God. See, unlike the Babylonian gods, our God is the sovereign one. You notice two weeks ago, the Babylonian gods were of no help to the king. None of his pagan gods could help him. None of his wise men could help him. But our God is not like the gods of this world, right? Our God is alive. He's breathing. He's active. He's interacting with creation and his people. And I believe that God wants to reveal himself to people today just like he was doing 2,600 years ago through dreams and visions. And so when I say that our God is a sovereign one, again, sovereign is kind of just like a big churchy word. But what I mean by that are really, really two, two things, two complementary truths. These will also be on the screens for you. When I say our God is sovereign, that means God our God knows all things, and our God can do all things. He knows all, all right? He's all-knowing, he can, he can do all. That means he's all-powerful. Two things, by the way, that nobody in this room or watching online can do. There's nobody in here that knows the future. You don't know what's gonna happen to you tomorrow morning. You don't even know what's gonna happen to you an hour from here when you walk out of here and go home. You don't know who's gonna win the next presidential election. You don't know who's gonna win the next basketball national championship. You don't know who's gonna win the next football national championship. I, you probably know that one, probably Alabama. But other than that, you know, you, you, really don't, you really don't know Jack, do you? And here's the thing, even if you did, you got no power to change almost any of it. See, we are the opposite of sovereign. Our knowledge is limited and our power is finite. And see, Daniel realizes that even as a teenager. You notice he doesn't try to scheme his way out of it. He's like, man, if I can just craft a good enough argument, explain to the king why his request is unreasonable, that I cannot figure out his dream, then maybe he'll let me off the hook. He's not leaning on his intellect. He's not leaning on his physical strength, right? He, he also doesn't say, man, I'm young, I'm strong. I got all these other young, strong slaves with me. Maybe Knezzer's getting kind of old, kind of weak. Maybe we can just pull a coup. Then we just sneak up on that old dude and just take him out, just assassinate him. Then we, he doesn't do any of that. He goes, he goes straight to God. Because, why? Because Daniel knows he's not the sovereign one. 
He knows that he is limited in knowledge and he is limited in power even as a teenager. And as I was studying this, this thought just came to me. I just wanna, for a second, if you're in the room this morning, if you're a teenager, if you're watching online, you're a teenager, let me just say this. Our, our culture will kind of feed you the idea that you have to wait until you're older for, for God really to do anything in your life, for God to use you in your life. And so our, our culture kind of perpetuates this idea that, that if you're in your teen years, you really are kind of living in, your, in these throwaway years, right? So just, it's just kind of a time for you to have fun and kind of explore who you are, figure out who you are, don't screw up anything too bad in your life. And I can just tell you, in God's economy, that is, that's a foreign idea. All throughout the scriptures, God uses incredibly young people in amazing ways. You think about Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. She was a teenager when God gave her the task of carrying the Messiah of the world. You may not know this, but most of the 12 disciples, a lot of scholars believe when Jesus called them, these guys who, by the way, became apostles, who wrote most of the New Testament, most of them were teenagers when Jesus called them. At most, they were in their early 20s. So I just want to say, man, if you're a teenager, you're here, you're online, don't believe the lie that you got to wait until you're older for God to use you in incredible ways. I just want to encourage you, don't waste your teen years. That's one of the greatest regrets of my life is I totally wasted my teen years. And if I could go back and, and, and relive those years, I absolutely 100% would. Don't waste your teen years. God has big plans for you even now, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. God can use you in amazing ways, miraculous ways. Now, so many of us, regardless of how old we are, so many of us, I think, have yet to even learn the lesson that Daniel had clearly established in his life at 16 years old, 17 years old. And listen, I'll just be honest with you, my reflex far too often, far too often, even at my age, is when I find myself in a bind, my, 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 my instinct is to try to figure it out and solve the problem in my own strength. Far too often, man, something goes sour in my life and my first instinct is, let me, let me just kind of like use my intellect and let me kind of think my way out of this situation or let me see if I can kind of massage this relationship and try to get it into some kind of resolution where it's in a healthier place. Daniel was smarter than that even at 16, 17 years old. He hits that really tough point in his life and he goes straight to the God who knows all and can do all. See, I've, I've come to the realization, I, I really believe that a huge percentage of people in America, right, people in churches, all, just like this one, all over this nation this morning, there's a huge percentage of people that would profess Christ to be a Christ follower with their mouths. So they would say, yes, intellectually, I believe there's a God. Yes, intellectually, I believe Jesus was the son of God. He came to, to redeem mankind. Intellectually, I would say yes to all of those things. But in practice, they really live like functional atheists. You know what a functional atheist is? It's someone who's, who says, yes, I believe in Jesus, but if you were to look in on their lives, they live exactly like the world around them. They manage their finances the same way. They have the same sexual ethics as the world around them. They, have, they, 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 they use their gifts and talents the same exact way as the world around them. Functional atheists. So maybe I should just ask you the question, little inventory time this morning. Are you a functional atheist this morning? All right, are you in church because your mom told you to go to church when you were a little kid? Are you just kind of intellectually believe? But okay, that's, that's great, that's good. How are you living your life? Is there evidence 
that you've met the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he's transforming your lives because if you meet Jesus, he begins to reshape everything about who we are and what we believe and our value system and how we use our money and how we treat our spouse and how we raise our kids and how we view our neighbors and how we treat our enemies and everything else in between. So let me just ask you this morning, what, what in your life right now are you trying to fix in your own strength that you should be taken to God? And I'm guessing for almost everybody in here, almost everybody online, there's at least one thing that probably comes to your mind right now. A relationship that you're trying to fix in your own strength, a situation at school on your college campus, your office workspace. You're try- man, you're, you're just trying to micromanage that bad boy and you think you're gonna fix it and if I, man, if I could just think about this and if I could just kind of craft some solution myself, what is that one thing that you should be taking to God right now just like Daniel did 2,600 years ago that you're trying to micromanage in your own strength? Because I want you to understand this. Listen, if you're here this morning, if you are in Jesus, you love him, you gotta understand you have access to a heavenly father that not only loves you but knows all and has the power to do all. And half the time, man, I, I'm convinced that God is just up in heaven like waiting on us to stop chasing our tails long enough to look up so he can show up and show out in our lives. Which, by the way, is precisely what happens for Daniel in chapter two, right? He goes to the sovereign one. He says, boys, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, what, we got a death sentence, boys. We're, we're on death row. Like, this is serious. We gotta go to God. He's the only one that can get us out of this. And so he goes to God and they, they pray and God miraculously reveals the king's dream and the interpretation. And so this whole chapter, man, the anticipation has been building, man, like, man, are we gonna live? Are we gonna die? Is anybody gonna get the dream? Is anybody gonna get the interpretation? Like everybody's losing their minds except for one person, Daniel. And again, what an example for us. When the world around us is losing their minds, the Christian witness should be one of cool, calm, collected. Right? There's a new global pandemic, there's a virus, everybody's losing their minds. Cool, calm, collected. There's another world war, there's all kinds of chaos going on around the world, everybody else is freaking out, flipping out, losing their minds. Believers should be cool, calm, collected. Your relationships are chaos at home, you lose your job, your bank account is almost empty, everybody else in the world will be freaking out. Believers, cool, calm, and collected. Why? Because our God knows all and our God can do all. And Daniel models this for us in a beautiful way, even as a teenager. So we're about to jump in right at kind of the the climax of chapter two where Daniel's gonna stand before the most powerful man on the planet and give him his dream and the interpretation. Y'all ready? Y'all still with me? All right, chapter two, let's start in verse 31. He's standing before Nebuchadnezzar now. Again, teenager, all right? This is what he says. You saw, O king, And behold, a great image. Scholars believe this image is one of a statue. So if you just kind of imagine a a huge statue that the king is seeing in his dream. Behold, a great image or a statue. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you and its appearance was frightening. So this is an awe-inspiring image, the statue. Verse 32, the head of this image was of fine gold. And it's, its chest and its, its arms were of silver and its middle and thighs of, of bronze, its legs of iron and feet partly of iron and partly of clay. 
And as you look, the stone was cut out by no human hand. So this is, this is a divine stone. It's not coming from any human. And it struck the image or the statue on the feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. And then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold all together were broken into pieces. It became like the shaft, the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain. And listen, filled the whole earth. So Daniel standing before Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on the planet, the guy that could take his life in an instant, and he says, hey, hey king, here's what you saw in your dream. You saw, you saw a statue, and the head was made of gold, and the arms and the chest were made of silver, the torso was bronze, the legs were made of iron and, and, and mixed with clay. It was this really impressive looking statue that you saw in your dream, but that's not all you saw, is it, O king? And so Nebuchadnezzar at this point has got to be thinking like, oh dang, this, this, this guy's onto something. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I saw. And he continues and he says, king, you also saw out, out of nowhere there's a rock that came and it was not cut by any human hand. This is a supernatural rock that you saw, right? And, and it came and it smashed all of those other elements and turned them into dust. But that's not all. That little rock that you saw in your dream then inexplicably turned into this massive mountain that over time slowly filled the entire earth. Now at this point, you gotta know he's got Nebuchadnezzar's attention because he just nailed his dream in stunning detail. Now the question is, can he interpret it for the king? We're gonna see in verse 36, watch this. Daniel says, this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, now I'm about to tell you what it means. Verse 37, you, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of men, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over all of them. In other words, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, you have an amazing kingdom, brother. It's expansive, it's awe-inspiring, it's amazing. But even in the middle of that, oh, king, I need you to know that all that you have in this amazing kingdom is from the God of heaven. Nebuchadnezzar, you thought you did it, God did it. And some of us maybe need to be reminded of that today. Maybe you're walking in a season of success in life, and praise God for those seasons. Maybe you're walking through a season of, of success where you're winning in, in business or your bank account is looking really good or maybe your relationships are really thriving like they never have before and you might be tempted in those seasons of success like I'm tempted to think you did it. I did this. I earned this. I worked hard for this. This is all me. And Daniel is reminding us, listen, all good things come from God. It's good for Nebuchadnezzar to remember, and it's good for us to remember in Asheville in 2022. He continues kind of revealing the dream, the interpretation to him, the end of verse 38. He says, you, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. All right, so now he's starting to break it down for him. You're the head of gold. Verse 39, another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. Now, we know that's true. 50, 60 years after this dream, we know that the Persian Empire would invade Babylon and overthrow King Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, we see that later on in the book of Daniel. But it continues on. Yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. We'll get into that in a minute. There shall be a fourth kingdom 
Strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And so, so in other words, there's going to be a fourth kingdom that's stronger than all the ones that came before. And as you saw, the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay. So this, is, this fourth kingdom is going to be a strong kingdom, but listen, it's going to have some fatal flaws. It's going to have some weaknesses that are going to that are gonna come into play later on in history. Verse 42, and as the toes of the feet were part, partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. Why? As you saw, the iron mixed with the soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in those days, and those days of those kings, so in the fourth kingdom, God's gonna do something amazing. In those days of the kings, the, the, the kingdom of, of iron, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these other kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to you, O king, what shall be after this? This dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Daniel drops the mic and walks off. So Daniel goes, hey, king, here, here's the deal. Your dream has been made clear to me, and you need to know it's not my wisdom. God has given me this interpretation. This is not from me, this is from God. I get no glory, God gets all the glory, but, he, but here's the interpretation. The four parts of that statue that you saw represent four kingdoms. You, Babylon, you're the head of gold. It's amazing, beautiful kingdom, but you need to know that in 50 or 60 years, there's gonna be a more powerful kingdom that arises, and scholars pretty much unanimously, unanimously agree that the, the arms and the chest of silver represent the Persian Empire that, that come in and take over Babylon just a short time after uh, this dream is revealed to Nebuchadnezzar. The third kingdom, the, the torso of bronze, scholars believe that represents the Greek Empire led by Alexander the Great. Now, if you know anything, you know your history, Alexander the Great was a brilliant military tactician, maybe unlike the world has ever seen, from a very early age. In fact, there's a story of King Alexander, the great Alexander, standing at a, at a river, and he begins to weep because there were no more kingdoms for him to conquer on planet Earth. Now, most of us in our 20s, we're still, you know, trying to figure out if we should move out of our parents' basement. He's conquered the whole known world, right? Conquered the whole known world. Can anybody guess what the fourth kingdom is made out of iron? Any guesses? What, somebody say it louder. Rome, you guys are Bible scholars. Yes, yes, Rome, right? That's the, the legs and the feet where iron and clay mixed together. Now, iron was the strongest metal out of all four of those. And we know historically, Rome became the most dominant military power that the world had ever seen at that point in time. But we also know that Rome was encompassed by a ton of different countries, languages, cultures, religions, ethnicities, and so they were never really united, right? They, they were really kind of divided the whole time. There was a lot of division, which ultimately caused their demise. And I think probably a lesson for, for us in our country today, for those who have ears to hear, right? Most great empires aren't conquered from an enemy from without, they crumble from within. This was the story of Rome, iron and clay mixed together. Strong militarily, but divided culturally. Now, the most important part of this entire dream is, of course, not, not the gold or the, the silver or the, the bronze or the iron. It's the stone. 
that appears in the dream out of nowhere. It's this divine stone. Daniel makes it clear it's not cut by any human hand. It's, a, it's it coming down from heaven. It's a supernatural stone, and it comes, and it smashes and crushes all of those kingdoms until they turn into dust, and they're blown away by the wind. Now, what do you think that stone may represent? Yeah, yeah. God, so if you, if you know Old Testament imagery, the, the imagery of stones oftentimes in Old Testament times were connected to, to God himself. In fact, it was not uncommon for a stone to be used as imagery for the coming Messiah. Now, what about in the New Testament? Is there any stone imagery in the New Testament? Well, as a matter of fact, I'm glad you asked. There is. Let me show you just a couple of them. This will be on the screen for you. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 2. He says this. This is, this is so awesome. Listen to this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, talking to believers, followers of, of Christ, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the what? The cornerstone. Listen to 1 Peter 2. This is the apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest three friends. Writes this. He says, as you come to him, that's Jesus, a living stone, Rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. And now you'll notice he starts to quote Old Testament passages. So you'll oftentimes notice New Testament writers constantly hyperlink back to the Old Testament, right? So he's going to quote Isaiah 28 here. He says, Behold, I'm laying a Zion, in Zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse seven, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, and now he's gonna quote Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, now Isaiah eight, the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Now, is there anything more offensive in our culture today than the gospel of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus and the demands that he puts on his followers, that we're to be set apart, that we're to have a different value system than the world, that we're to look different than our neighbors and our colleagues and our classmates. It's all right there for us in the scriptures. Now look at Matthew 21. Jesus himself, he's, he's actually rebuking Pharisees here, so these really like uber legalistic uh, religious leaders in his day. This is what he says to them, Matthew 21. Jesus said to them, these religious crazies, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruits. In other words, man, y'all look good on the outside, man. Y'all go to church, you read your Bible, you, you give your tithe, you look great on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. Your heart is far from God. Your spirit is, is dead. And so I'm gonna take the kingdom and its fruit away from you and give it to a people that will produce its fruits. Verse 44, and the one who falls on this stone, again, think back to the dream in Daniel chapter two, the one who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces. That should sound very familiar to you. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. See, the stone that will topple all earthly kingdoms and establish an unshakable kingdom that will have no end. Listen, guys, that stone is Jesus the Christ. Listen, when the angel announced the birth of Jesus to Mary in Luke chapter one, this is what the angel said. This is amazing. This will also be on the screens for you. The angel said this to Mary. Again, teenager, and God's using her in incredible ways. 
It says this, and Mary, and behold, you will, bear, you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Again, hyperlinking right back to the dream in Daniel chapter 2. There's going to be a stone, a supernatural stone that's going to come and it's going to supersede. It's going to be greater than all the world's kingdom. It's going to establish a new kingdom that will have no end. Listen, guys, we have a clear presentation of the gospel in Daniel chapter 2 being revealed through a dream to a pagan tyrant 600 years before Jesus was ever even born. Listen, God, God, God is the only one who could do something like that. And so Daniel nails the dream. He crushes the interpretation, and now the question is, how's the king gonna react? Because this could go one or two ways for Daniel, right? This could go pretty well for him. This could end really badly for him. Let's see how the king reacts to the dream and the interpretation, starting in verse 46. It says, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. And the king answered and said to Daniel, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. And then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him the ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men. About 16, 17 years old, he's now the boss of the biggest area in Babylon. Verse 49, Daniel made a request of the king. He's like, king, appreciate all the gifts, love the new chariot, love the new castle on the lake, but I got one request for you. And he says, Daniel made one request of the king, and then he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. See, even Daniel understood his need as a godly 16, 17-year-old young man for spiritual community. It's like, man, he, he knew that he couldn't go it alone. He's like, man, I gotta have these other, other dudes that also love you, God, and are following. I gotta have them with me so we can hold each other accountable, so we can pray for one another, so that we can encourage one another. Let me just say, man, in 2022, as followers of God in modern day times, we need spiritual community just as much as Daniel did. He didn't just say, oh, man, this is awesome, man. Now I got my own little posh pad and it's all good. Now I'm the ruler of this whole thing. Good luck, boys. <laughs> Y'all come visit me on the weekends. No, he wanted that spiritual community with him. He knew he needed it. And then it finishes off and says, Daniel remained at the king's court. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is clearly blown away, falls to his face. He confesses uh, Daniel's God, praises Daniel's God. Now we know that's kind of a temp- temporary thing as we'll see through the book. Um, but then he promotes Daniel to this high place of prominence and honor and responsibility in his kingdom, again, as a teenager. It's just incredible. And what a lesson for us there. And that leads us to kind of our second big overarching truth this morning. This will be our last one on the screens for you. Faithfulness to God. Listen, guys. Faithfulness to God is always rewarded. It's always rewarded, either in this life or the one to come. And sometimes it is rewarded in this life, like Daniel experienced, and we praise God for that. Maybe you work hard at your job, man, and you're honest, and you show up, and you're very responsible, you're dedicated, and your boss sees those things that Christ is producing in your life, and you get a promotion. Sometimes we don't receive our reward on this side of eternity. But know this, man, if you are faithful to God, he will reward you. 
That's a promise in scripture. This is the way Jesus puts it in Matthew 19. He says this, then everyone, you know who everyone includes? Everyone, you, me, your friends, your colleagues, your classmates, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother, children or land. Basically, if you've given up anything to follow me, Jesus says, for my name's sake, they will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Jesus goes, listen, if you follow me, it will cost you. You need to understand that. But you also need to understand that the reward for following me will dwarf whatever you give up. Kind of the example that I thought about this week was just imagine if you were, uh, you had a $20 bill in your pocket, right? And you're walking around downtown Asheville and and just suppose one of the wealthiest people on the planet walks up to you, like like Bill Gates or uh, Elon Musk. We'll we'll go with with Elon since he's in the news right now, right? So let's say Elon walks up to you. You got that $20 bill. You're holding it in your hand. And Elon walks up to you and says, hey, man, I know know you don't know me, but listen, if you give me that $20 bill, I just want to bless you. I want to give you a million dollars. You just give me that 20, you know I got the money, you know who I am, I'll, I'll happily give you a million dollars. I'm just trying to be nice, do some good deeds. Now, now imagine if, if you were to say, or that person were to say, you know what, I have some, some kind of, I got some sentimental attachments to that 20. You know what, I've been walking around with my pocket for like a week, we've been through some things together, you know? And, uh, you know, I kind of feel like it's given me a little bit of a security blanket, so you know, like, I appreciate the offer, Elon, but uh, you can keep your, your million. I'm going to keep my, my 20. Like, we would look at that and say, that person is an idiot. Like, why would you turn down a million dollars for a dinky $20 bill? And that's what it's like to follow Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's saying, yes, it is going to cost you something to follow me, but you got to understand the reward of following me far outweighs anything that you would ever dream of giving up. So faithfulness to God, we've got to understand, man, it is always, always, always rewarded. Sometimes in this life, sometimes in the next, but it is always rewarded. Now, last thing I want you to see, then we're going to wrap it up. I want you to know this. This was written as an encouragement to God's people in exile. You've got to know that. This was written to encourage those who are downtrodden, those who are discouraged. And so let me just ask you, is there anybody here this this morning who's maybe walking in a season of discouragement? Anybody kind of downtrodden? Anybody in here kind of weary, kind of exhausted? Is there something in your life right now that maybe feels very weighty to you, very heavy, maybe even depressing, maybe even anxiety-producing? If that's you, I want you to know, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand this. I want you to internalize it. This is the whole message of Daniel chapter two. Listen, guys, in the end, Jesus wins. In the end, Jesus wins. And if you're with him, you win too. And so you may feel like you're losing at life right now, but if you're in Christ, you need to understand, in the end, you win. So this is written to to be an encouragement to believers. So every single day when we wake up, whether our circumstances are good or bad, whether our bank account is full or almost on E, whether our health is good or we just got a bad report from the doctor, whether our marriage is thriving or on the rocks, whatever it is, we can wake up every single morning regardless of the circumstances around us and we can bask in the reality that we belong to another king and a coming kingdom that is unshakable and it will have no end. And I love this quote by Corey Ten Boom. As we close, she said this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future 
to a known God. And isn't that beautiful? Would you bow your heads with me as we close and the band comes? As we begin to wrap things up, here's what I think is a temptation for many of us. Just like Nebuchadnezzar, we can try to build our own kingdoms on earth, can't we? And I don't know what that temptation is for you. I know probably a couple that are temptations for me. Maybe your temptation is to build a career kingdom. Maybe your temptation is to build the money kingdom, right? So you're constantly, man, you're checking your bank account, you're checking the stock market. Man, you are just consumed with finances, resources. Man, and you're just trying to build that kingdom on earth for yourself. Maybe for some of you, you're trying to build that social media kingdom, man, and you just live for the likes, and you live for the retweets or whatever. I don't, man, I, I don't know what your temptation is to build your little earthly kingdom, but I know you're probably struggling with some variation of this. But God loves you enough that he's reminding you in a very gentle way this morning through his word, by the power of his spirit, through the book of Daniel, that listen, all those little kingdoms that you could build up for yourself on earth, one day they're all gonna crumble and they're gonna be blown away like dust in the wind. And so you need to understand, dear friend, dear brother, dear sister, there is only one everlasting, unshakable king and kingdom for you to build your life on. And understand this, you're either with a statue or you're with a stone. You're with a statue or you're with the stone. You're with the world's kingdom, the world's value system, or you're with the kingdom of Jesus that's coming and it's gonna grow into a mountain and expand and fill the whole earth. You're with the statue or you're with the stone. And I don't know about you, I wanna be with the stone. And so I just wanna say, man, if you're here in the room, if you're watching online and you've, man, you've never, ever pledged your allegiance to King Jesus, You've never just kind of waved the white flag of surrender in your life. Like, man, I'm, dude, I'm so sick and tired of trying to live life in my own strength and figure out things in my own strength. I'm so tired of screwing things up. Man, I just want to surrender my life. I want to turn away from my sin and I want to turn to Jesus. I want to find life in him. If you've never done that, I want you to know this morning, your salvation will never come through any other means. Anything you're tempted to think will satisfy you. It will not. It will fail you. If you think you're gonna find that in a romantic relationship or a political party or an ideology or getting the perfect job or getting into the perfect university, whatever it is, whatever your heart is chasing, you need to understand none of those things will ever last. They're dust in the wind. Your salvation, your purpose is only found in the one who came into this world, the supernatural stone, rejected by man but exalted by God, Jesus Christ who came into this world and he lived a perfect life on your behalf and my behalf, the one that we should have lived, but we never could because we're sinners. And he died a brutal, bloody death to pay for your rebellion against a perfect holy God and my sin against a perfect holy God. But he didn't stay in that grave. He rose again. And he now offers you a relationship with him. He offers you real life now in this world and also into eternity. So if you've never met that perfect sovereign stone that was rejected by man, exalted by God, Jesus Christ, I want to invite you into that relationship today to give your life, maybe for the first time, maybe you're religious, maybe you grew up in church, maybe you know all the Sunday school answers, but you've never actually surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to do that today. 
and see what he'll do in your life because the reality is your salvation, your purpose is only found in the purpose and work of Jesus Christ. And we're gonna celebrate that in a tangible way in just a minute. We're gonna take the bread, we're gonna take the cup, we're gonna celebrate communion together. Let's pray as we prepare our hearts for that time. God, I come to you and I thank you, Father, for, um, I thank you for being the sovereign one. I thank you that you are different than all the other kingdoms and all the other gods in this world. The kingdom of relationship and the kingdom of sex and the kingdom of social media fame and the kingdom of career and the kingdom of money and all these things, ultimately God will fail us. We'll be blown away on that last day, like dust in the wind. So God, would you, would you help us to rather build our lives on the kingdom that is unshakable, on the kingdom that will have no end, the one that's established by that, that supernatural stone, rejected by man, exalted by God, Jesus Christ, would you help us to choose him over the world? And not just one decision that we make, but every single day when we wake up, that we would choose the sovereign one, that we'd give our lives away to him. God, we love you. We could never thank you enough for what you've done for us, that you came and you lived a perfect life for us. You died on the cross to save us from our sins and you rose again. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.